Buongiorno e benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy. Mi chiamo Kimberly Holcomb. Mi chiamo Tommaso. Bravo! I didn't even tee you up for that. You got it. Good job. Okay. Our podcast number episodio 99. Dio mio, one away from Cento, right? It's 100. It's been 100 episodes of heaven. 99 episodes of heaven. Well, this recording been a with me. Yes. <laughs> recording be. with each other. Yes. Anyway, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem like we've been chatting away about Italy for 100 episodes, but we have. But we have. Well, 99, plus there's been some other bonuses thrown in there. We have like 104 recordings. There you go. But you know what? I say next week we have a party for our 100th episode. So next Wednesday, when you listen to us, you can open a bottle of wine or make an Aperol spritz or a gin and tonica or a cappuccino or a bicharine, the coffee drink we spoke about last week's episode. However you want to join us, we're going to be celebrating. One thing before we get going here, newsflash, you know how Kimberly has been correcting my Italian all the time, (laughs) my pronunciation Italian words? Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. She got her little tuchus corrected this week. I did. I am completely... um, fessing up to the fact that I have been calling one of my favorite villages in all of Italy. I have been calling it Varena, Varena on Lago di Como. But this past week, I was talking to my friends from Lago di Como. We were trying to coordinate a hike that she was going to give my clients who are staying in Varena. So I said, and without saying anything directly to me, she said, well, you know, Kimberly, the bo- boats from Varena to Argenio just aren't that often. And then she said, Varena, well, with the little roll of the tongue, Varena, a few times. And finally I got it. I was like, oh my, I have been saying Varena my entire life. Okay, so la culpa mia, my fault. I admit it. And I have learned. Varena, it is. Il capa and il professor. La capa. La capa and la professore. Yes. Oh, you mean I'm la professore. Yes. (laughs) It is wrong. Yes. Okay. Let's carry on quickly. We're going to dive into Piemonte, but quickly, I do want to say, I know I repeat myself all the time, but this past week, I've had a couple new clients who were in a bit of a... um, panic situation, not that may not be the right word, but they were just so overwhelmed with their upcoming trip in a few weeks. And they found too much information on TripAdvisor or whatnot. And they then they found our podcast. And they're like, oh, I wish I found you guys earlier. You would have solved everything. I could have probably planned the trip on my own with just listening to you. But in this case, can you help me? So I said, yes. But here's what happens. And this is just for everybody, and I'm not, um, you know, shouting out to these two new clients. They're fantastic. But what the problem is, is the shorter notice you have for everything, the harder it is. Getting the tours they want to do, Fitzi, getting the, into the Vatican with a private tour, all of that stuff, and some accommodations as well. It's really challenging. So 
that's just my little uh, travel tip for you. If you're planning it on your own or hiring a travel planner like myself, give it time. Give it as much time as you can. Va bene? Allora, we want to share with you why you should visit the region of Piemonte, which all of you know is Piedmont in English, but Piemonte, we're sticking to the Italian version. It's also how the French pronounce it. Piemonte. Piemonte? Piedmont. Piedmont. Uh, there you go. <laughs> anyway, our last, bon. two, <laughs> our last two episodes, we told you all about the capital city of Torino and all of its amazing history and palaces, its cuisine, their dessert-like coffee that they start each day with, their distinct pasta with truffles. So in summary, Torino alone is almost reason enough to visit Piemonte, but there is a lot more happening in this bucolic region. Piemonte is the second largest of Italy's 20 regions, with only Sicily being the larger. It has eight provinces, and one aptly named Torino, and the others are Cuneo, Asti, Alessandria, Vercelli, Novara, Biella, and, check this one out, Verbano Cusio Osola. Okay, that's a mouthful. Sounds like my last name. <laughs> Have you ever noticed, you guys, that I never say Tom Tomasa's last name? It's not. It's not Verbano Cusio Osola. It's close. <laughs> But not Italian. Anyway, I'll explain that last name of the province later. Piemonte also is not technically landlocked like Umbria, for example, because on its northeastern edge, Lago Maggiore runs through that border line between Lombardia to the east and Piemonte. So half of Lago Maggiore is in Piemonte and the other half in Lombardia. And the small beautiful glacial lake of Lago d'Orta. It's really like Lago di Orta, but they took away the I and just say Lago d'Orta. And that is completely, the entire lake is in Piemonte. And I, I actually have a family of four, these clients staying on the lake a few weeks from now, which they chose deliberately because it's less crowded than Lago di Como or Lago Maggiore or even Lago di Garda. And so they're very, very excited to end their trip in the, uh, like, Tranquilita di Lago di Orta. Capisci? Si. Bravo. <laughs> okay. While I was living in Milano, each time that we would drive to Torino, which was primarily for photo shoots, we drove on the highways through the eastern countryside, the beginning of part Piemonte. And it was primarily just like the western side of Lombardia, flat fields of crops, and you could see the mountains off to the north. It was pretty-ish, but nothing over the top, you know, like blow your socks off that can happen on so many road trips in Italy. However, one time after a location shoot down in Liguria, down by the water, we drove up from Liguria, the coast, north into Piemonte, and that area on the bottom of Cuneo is called the Lange, which is wall-to-wall -wall crops and vines, all, everything on top of these like mini rounded mountains. It was beautiful. It is beautiful. And there's so much to take in visually when you come to the top of one of these little small mountains on, you know, a relatively small road. 
and you look down at everything else that's growing and the mountains are behind this valley and all these mountains to the north. And besides all the forests and trees everywhere and those endless vines, Lange is also the home to the nasal, whoops, to the nasal hut. To the nasal nut. <laughs> Lange is also home to the hazelnut, which is nocciole in Italian. And these hazelnut trees thrive in this Lange soil and climate. And supposedly, they are the best hazelnut in the world. So they say. Do you like hazelnut? Not particularly, no. This goes, it's mixed Well, in. you think of Nutella. Exactly. <laughs> so get that out of your mind. No. Yeah. And these hazelnuts have also received the award of protected geographical indication, which we've discussed before regarding various regions, cheeses and different products, even tomatoes. Remember that all over, basically every region of Italy has one of these distinctions for one of their proprietary product, let's say. And it's quite a distinction. So there you have it. A hazelnut has this grand distinction. So you guys, the next time you are in a gelateria in Italy, definitely try the flavor nocciole. That's hazelnut. That's spelled N-O-C-C-I-O-L-E. Tommaso, you need to try it. It's very good. Mm-hmm. I'll give it a try. <laughs> Oh, and I forgot, the last thing is the Lange is also home to five UNESCO World Heritage Sites. So that says a lot for a very small area within a province, within the region of Piemonte, okay? And it's the home to a lot of of these grapes you're talking about. Exactly. It's home to one of our favorite wines, (laughs) Barolo. Barolo. Okay, roller. (laughs) (laughs) But... We can't, we don't generally have Barolo that often because the best Barolos aren't for everyday drinking in our... In our budget? In our budget. There, you can buy Barolo anywhere, basically in a nice wine store, but is it ah, da morire? Let me get there. Yeah, okay. I'm okay. going down this path. Okay. Did a little research. You tasked me with this because of my Your love, love of wine. My love of wine. And I had to prepare myself for October going there because I'd never been there. So I have a lot of research and I hope we have a bag full of money. (laughs) So, you know, Piemonte region has benefited from the whole start of the slow food movement. And the slow food movement is really mapped onto the slow wine movement, I'll call it. Correct. Because of the way everyone really cares about quality and the timing and the temperature, and the, nothing is rushed, particularly with Barolo. We'll go through that. So the region is rich in the production of wine. This Barolo we talk about, this red, which is so magical, can go from the low $40, which we never buy. Are you talking about price, price here point. in the United States? Yeah, I'm talking about price okay. point in the United States, because that's where a lot of our audience is. And also in the UK, I've seen Barolos in the UK online for you know, a case for 650 pounds for six bottles. That's about $900, thereabouts, or $800. Anyway, I've also seen Barolos for $2,000 online, Mm -hmm. these vintage Barolos. So now that I've wet your tongue, so to speak, (laughs) right, around this, you go into your local wine store 
And now you're searching for a Barola because Tommaso was talking about Barola. Oh, right? Delicious so they are. I'm going to say I'd like to drink them with a plate of my favorite Italian meat, Versaola. And I'm planning this meal. Okay. I'm planning this For meal. next week. No. Okay. No, no. I'm we can get Brasala in, um, in, in Providence. Providence. Well, maybe, maybe. This red wine, this Barolo that I'm thinking of for next week is only to be meant for a beautiful, special meal. It's not that warm here yet, so we can really enjoy red. We generally don't drink red in the, in the summertime. A lot of rosé around here in Jamestown. So, but I digress. So you go back, you're looking for an Italian wine, and how do you know what to choose? Well, let, first of all, let me start off saying, I have a bias. I never choose the cheapest wine. We have been disappointed too many times, and rarely are we ever surprised that, oh, wow, this is good and cheap. That hardly ever happens. So say, let's say it's a special evening and you want to have a nice bottle. Not our usual 20 to $24 red that we drink, but something to celebrate, say, that 100th episode next week. Can I just throw in there that our 20 to $24 bottles of red wine are mostly Californian, Oregon State. They're never Italian, basically. There's not a fantastic Italian red I can buy here for $24. Right, correct. Okay. There are some French wines, some Lorraine French wines, but you don't like French wine. <laughs> Let's not get into our personal grievances here. The closet's <laughs> opening here. Anyway, maybe we're going to go, who who knows? Certainly not $250 and above, but we're going to have a nice bottle of Barolo next week. But how do you know what to buy? Well, Italy's top-end wines, going back to that slow food movement, are heavily regulated. And there are four classifications. And I gave you a little note card there. Okay, only because he'd prefer that I would pronounce them. So. Well, we don't want a, the episode to go on for three hours. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of you trying. Me trying to knock it out. Okay, the four classifications of Italian wines are Vino di Tavola, and the abbreviation is VDT. Which is table wine, normal wine. Correct. Oh, sorry, correct. And then the abbreviation IGT stands for Indicazione Geografica Tipica. Oh, go ahead. No, I just want to say that some of those wines, even though it's not classified at the DOC or the DOCG, which we're going to get into, some of those wines can be fantastic, like the Super Tuscans, because what happens is they're blends and they're not put together in a very, very formal manner like these other wines. These first two we just described, Vino di Tavola. Well, Vino di Tavola is just... Table wine. Table which wine. is But the second fantastic. one can have some fantastic wines in it also, just because it's not in one of these classifications. The IGT. Okay. Right. It doesn't mean it's not good. The last two, DOC, stands for Denominazione di Origine Controllata. So the denomination of the origin, controlled origin. And finally, the DOCG, Denominazione di Origine Controllata e Garantita. Right. So it's pretty clear what that means. It's guaranteed this controlled denomination statement of where its origin is. Right. From. So this gives you some security in so or some or the reduction of risk in buying an expensive bottle of Italian wine. So if you think you want to spend two hundred fifty dollars. Uh, if you think you want to spend two hundred and fifty dollars, give me a call. I'll be over in a while. <laughs> um, but and it would be could be a DOCG, right? Or could, just a DOC. 
well, generally it could it, it even could be back to the IGT, IGT. but okay. mostly the wines that come out of Piemonte are those two classifications. The second two, yes, DOC, DOCG, yes. And essentially, since 1963, this has been in place, and basically, it regulates the geographic area where the wines can be made, the permitted grape varieties, and I'll get into some grapes where those grapes can be grown, the amount of oak aging, and the yields that can be taken out of the vineyards. So essentially, it's highly regulated to ensure that these wines are consistent. That's brilliant, right? We have regulations here that are ridiculous. These are fantastic regulations. And then when you get up to the DOCG, mm-hmm. the yields of the wine that they put out must be lower. And they must be aged in barrels longer. For example, the DOCG includes requiring that wines be submitted for technical analysis and tasted for approval by a government committee and before they can be sold as DOCG wines. So if you're looking for that DOCG label when you're in your wine store, you know a lot. you've got a pretty good idea that it's going to be okay. You know a lot went into it by Italian wine lovers, it's in their blood, it's in their DNA, and this is not just a business. This is their statement. This is their pride and joy. So let's jump into some grapes here in the Piemonte region. The major grape in the Piemonte region My is, favorite. is Nebbiolo. And, and you say that perfectly. You pronounce that spot on. Well, <laughs> that's pretty easy. Three <laughs> syllables. Um, so... And it's it's or Nebbiolo. Carry on. <laughs> the professor is back. <laughs> this Nebbiolo produces lightly colored red wines, which are which as they age take on characteristics of brick orange you and the rim of the glass, and and they mature as they go along to reveal other aromas, and these. Could be flavors like violets, tar, wild herbs, cherries, raspberries, truffles, tobacco, and prunes. Tobacco? Tobacco. And that's, you know, that's part of that oak aging, Actually, tobacco leaves, we used to, long story, never mind. Yeah, long story. It's like my failing stories. Kentucky, come on up Yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandfather grew tobacco leaves. Carry on. Nebbiola wines can require years of aging to balance all these different flavors out. And what's very important is the weather and the climate. And- the early morning fog in a Nebbiola vineyard in the Langa, the Italian word for fog, Nebbia, is one possible reason that the it's called Nebbiolo. I'm sure it is. And it's one of the first varieties to bud and the last variety to ripen. So the harvest is taking place through mid to late October. And when it's time to harvest, it's all hands on deck to get these off the vines before In the end of the season. finite time frame. Exactly. The most highly rated bottles of Piemonte Nebbiolo Barolos tend to come from vintages that had dry weather during September and October. Oh, interesting. So, reading up on all this, when you tasked me with taking a look at it and also getting my taste... Learning a bit yourself. Getting my taste buds prepared for October. <laughs> um, I just want to put something into perspective here. There are only 14,000 acres of Nebbiolo grown. In Piemonte. In in the world, essentially. What? Yes, exactly. What? Well, there are some Nebbiolo grapes up in Valtellina. Very 
It's like 500 acres. Wow. That's it. Okay. So 14,000 14, acres? acres over the whole of Italy. You said in the world. You meant in Italy. Well, there's they've tried to put a, a Nebbiolo okay. in, I think, Washington. Washington State yes, in America. Hasn't, yeah, it hasn't really worked out that well. <laughs> but to give you an idea, our little island is 22,000 acres. Wow. So two-thirds of our island is the Could whole be. of the production of Nebbiolo. Wow, that's interesting. That's so, so no that's, wonder why it's pricey. Exactly. No wonder why it's so expensive. So it is um, the consistent climate of the region produces this unique territory for Nebbiolo that is not easily replicated. Again, it goes back to Washington. They tried. Doesn't really take. And to give you an idea of this DOCG regulations, the normal bottling for a DOC wine is nine months in oak and 21 months in total aging. And the reserver bottlings require 45 total months of aging. And that can be 18 months in oak. That's a lot. That's a big difference in the aging of wine. And that's why it has all these complex flavors and they get they get smoothed out over time. Do you think you prefer Barolo over Brunello del Montalcino? I can bathe in either one of them. <laughs> I'm good with that. <laughs> well, bravo. That was very informative. Well done. Can I just say one last thing about wine in Piemonte? Hit it, girl. Do you remember the Asti province I mentioned earlier when I named off the eight different provinces within Piemonte? Mm-hmm. Well, Barbera. Diasti is something that I drank quite a bit when I lived in Milano. First of all, it was a little less expensive for whatever reason, and I was always budget living while I was there. And it's light and refreshing, and I was new to wine drinking. I was learning as the years went by, but I liked it at the beginning, and I'm sure I would enjoy a glass right now, but like right now, but... (laughs) but. It was tasty and and delicious. And also from Asti, this province is Asti Spumante, which... I remember those television ads. You do? Yes. From years and years ago? Yes. Well, it has a very bad rap in the United States because I think they produce various... um, I don't think it is as controlled. Perhaps not because there is Asti Spumante for sale in America for like $10, three, yeah, $3, $8, yes. whatever. Nothing's $3. But anyway, it's it's not good. You'd hear Ricardo Montalban singing it on, <laughs> along with the Volare, filled with Asti Spumante. Oh my God, we're dating ourselves again. Anyway, when we are in Piemonte, I am going to have you drink a glass of Asti Spumante. And that was something we always did on Sunday brunches. It is a Sunday Mother's Day, mix it with some peach nectar, you name it. Anyway, that is the little region. Okay. Carrying on. The other thing you should know about Asti is that they also hold a polio race, just like the one in Siena that we talked about in episode 95. And this is the type of option I think you can seek out. The same fabulous history, the same amount of horses, the same concept of the neighborhoods, and in this case in Asti, 14 neighborhoods competing against each other. 
They still wear the costumes. They have the names. Everything is the same. Do they still cheat? I'm not sure. But it's just a smaller venue and it's less well known. I bet you any amount of money it is as amazing. And they even have the procession with, they state, minimum 1,200 people in garb, in costume. In the little village of Asti. I think that would be something really sweet to do. I'm going to bring my pantaloons. No, you're not. Because you don't have any. (laughs) Grazie Dio. All right. And just another quick aside. This is the church lady and me coming out. Oh, boy. Asti has a lot of churches for such a small city. And their Duomo, due to the wealth of the citizens as it was being built in the 13th century... Their Duomo boasts one of the most compelling examples of Gothic architecture in the entire Piemonte region. So how's that? Good enough. When you go there, I'll be hunting truffles. Va bene. All right. Another very worthwhile place to stay or visit in Piemonte is the little known city called Saluzzo. And when I say little known, I mean to the masses of tourism. Like, for example. It's not on the greatest hits. Have you ever had a friend come back from Italy and say, oh, my God, we had the best trip. It was so amazing. We went to Venice, Montepulciano, Rome, and Saluzzo. Right? No. <laughs> You've never heard that. The first time I've heard it was right now. Right. <laughs> I have heard of it before, and so have you when I tell you. Saluzzo is geographically stunning in that the Alps are behind it and make for a very impressive background. And it also has some incredible architecture due to the fact that it was ruled for several hundred years by the French. So it's home to plenty of a marquis or a marchese, as you say in Italian. Therefore, a bit of grandeur mixed into the architecture with medieval fortresses and the ruins of three rings of walls that had encircled the city. And every time the city enlarged, they built another ring, another wall. So they don't exist anymore, but some of the ruins do. So a lot of people go to salute. So just for that alone, to follow the trace of the three rings, which I think is very cool. The other lure to visit this area of Cuneo, which is one of the provinces. I'm sorry, I did not say that Saluzzo is in Cuneo. About 10 kilometers south of Saluzzo is the Castello della Monte. And this, Tommaso, I think you definitely can pull out of the cobwebs of your art history classes and Jansen's history of art. There's a lot of dust in there. (laughs) Because this Castello della Monte was built as a military fortress first, and then enlarged by one of these Marchese from Saluzzo in the 1400s. And he had a baronial hall built that is unlike any other. And this is where I mentioned that you probably had studied it because they commissioned frescoes on the long walls of the baronial hall that are unbelievable, so ornate, so well done, so detailed, and in such amazing shape because the medium of fresco didn't always stay faded a lot. These walls are unlike any other, and to this day, the artist is still unknown. That's because when they presented them with the bill, it was expensive, so it was off with your head. Oh, jeez, Louise, Just come on. Just saying, it was the 1400s. <laughs> well, the fact that it wasn't attributed to any other school of another painter, I mean, it's amazing. So that is why I think... You probably have heard of this. 
And these two fresco walls are claimed to be a masterpiece of chivalric tradition, depicting men and women respecting each other, working hard together, doing acts of courage. And all of this was very much appreciated by these Marqueses and their aristocrats in the 1400s. And the other thing is, this is what stuck out about this place in my art history classes. It was one of the first massive frescoes to not be a depiction of a religious ah, event. Ah. So this was all about being chivalrous. Okay. Isn't that amazing? Fair enough. So this is the kind, this is another kind of thing. Go see this. It's 10 miles south of Saluzzo, and it's one of a kind, something that not the average tourist does. All right, finalmente. Are we running out of time? No. Oh, sorry. Okay, then. Well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Finally, the we're, we're going we're to let this one roll a little bit longer today. Finally, the top part of Piemonte is also worthy of your time. The Italians in this area, the top northern part of Piemonte, in this particular province, decided only in 1992 to combine three provinces of what had once been part of the Novara province, and Hence, the ridiculously long name that I mentioned before of Verbano Cusio Osola. And this happened in 1992 while I lived there. And I can remember all the Milano papers ranting about the long name. And I, you know, was just not that fluent and couldn't read Italian that well. But I saw the headlines and everyone in the coffee bars talking about it. I was like, what are you guys complaining about? Look at, like, right down the street, Corso Vittorio Emanuele El Secondo is the name of the road. And you're worried about Verbano Custio Osola? Get it? I thought it was pretty funny. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Moving on. But hold on. So the name has stuck, and maybe the locals have, like, an acronym for it, like Viva or something. Okay. But anyway, this province at the very north is stunning. It is basically all mountains. It's absolutely beautiful to drive through. And I can say so with experience because I went to Domodossola, which is the second largest city in this province area in the whole northern part of Piemonte. And I went there several times with friends because it was an easy and beautiful drive. So once we'd leave Milano and drive to Lago Maggiore, We'd follow the western side of the lake, and that eventually runs into River Toce. The word river is fiume, so fiume Toce, and you follow it. Well, we would follow that on a somewhat smallish road. We followed that river as it curved through the mountains for about an hour or more to get to Domodossola, and the mountains on either side were just covered in green and then you have this river. So it was such a relief for us from, you know, busy, crazy, dirty at the time. Smoke-filled. Smoky. Exhaust Carbon filled. monoxide. Polluted Milano. city. <laughs> so all of a sudden, within, you know, two hours, we're in this stunning environment. And the further north you got into the Alps, the mountains got higher, a little less trees. And then you got to the village of Domodossola. And it is so sweet. It's still, I I looked on Google Earth today and it obviously has had some sprawl, urban sprawl since I have been there. But the historic center was so cute and colorful. A lot of Swiss influence because you're only 
I don't know, 30 kilometers from the Swiss border. And guess what? It had several wood houses, like you saw in the village, the city of Como, when we were there at Christmas. Yes, yes, yes. That yes. ancient wood, yes, you yes. know, chalet type. Right, overhangs Hansel where the beams and Gretel come out type. Exactly. As you walk under, yes. So there's some of those in Domodossola, but they're painted colors. The one in Como is, has been unpainted wood for centuries. So Domodossola, awesome, beautiful place to visit, to stay. And I highly recommend it. And then you're surrounded by this incredible geography. And if you feel like it, if you go to Domo Dosala, stay there. And the cuisine is very mountain-focused, you know, meat, meat, and more meat. There I go. Polenta. I ate polenta, and there's not a green vegetable in sight. If you go and stay, keep driving north. Keep following that fiume toche, and you get to the source of it this magnificent waterfall. You're surrounded by mountains. That's where the river starts and goes into Lago Maggiore. And I can only speak from several years ago when I went, many years ago when I was last there, but it was the kind of place where only Italians go. All these tourists now go to the Dolomiti, to all those amazing, super mod, architecturally significant hotels and ski lodges, go to a place like this. Go north of Doma Dosla to a waterfall and be surrounded by the Alps. What do you think? Okay, absolutely. I mean, would you go? Sure. Maybe not this trip, but we will go. Okay. Bob Anna, now we're out of time? Well, now I just want to say one thing because I know everyone's wondering. <laughs> <clears throat> My book came last week. <gasps> Woohoo! <laughs> and it has a beautiful, it has a slip cover. I actually love the cover almost more than the book. No, no, no. But having a book, I have several books, art books with slip covers, and I really pride myself on owning them because most books, people get rid of the slip cover, it gets banged up, whatever. But I think it's a beautiful thing. But you the, haven't said what the book is. You so just said my book arrived. Okay. Well, because they were they were all listeners, so they know which book I'm talking about. <laughs> this could be it's someone's been, very first episode. It's been a conversation among the <laughs> among the, 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 the loyal audience. followers. So it's the art collection of the Royal Library in Torino, and it is uh, it's just amazing. It's got so many color plates in it of uh, and black and white plates of drawings and etchings, and it's got. Little things by Rembrandt in it and Cataletto and Guardi from mm. Da Vinci. And it's got some beautiful nautical charts, which yes. are in color. So anyway, this is uh, something to sit around and not just breeze through, but really look through. Anyway, in case you're all wondering, it came and I love it. So happy. Best it 20, is beautiful. Best 25 bucks ever spent. Right. <laughs> Thank God for eBay. Va bene. Next week. La settimana prossima. Mercoledì, next week, Wednesday, la festa di episodio cento. Va bene? Our 100th episode, we're going to come up with something very special for you. And we'll see you then. Ciao, ciao.